0: everyone welcome back to raising consciousness and today i'm bringing you an episode with danny and matthews who is the founder of danny and co a award-winning design agency and we actually sit down to talk about workplace culture so there's been a few episodes on the show where we spoke about heart-centered leadership and um we've got a few coming up around kindness as well but in today's episode we really dive into the culture that danny is building as his organization which is very unorthodox very um unconventional and i'm really excited to be bringing this episode to you so with that said let's hop on over into today's episode and talk culture with danny Welcome to Raising Consciousness with me, Lou Burrows, where raising human consciousness happens. On the show, I'm joined by guests to cover a range of topics and have conversations that will raise human consciousness for current and future generations. Now, let's dive into today's show. Welcome everyone to today's episode. I'm joined by my good friend Danny as we... Um, in this episode of Raising Consciousness, bring more awareness to sustainability, I want to focus there on this episode, especially for businesses. I know that's something that you're really um, passionate about. But before we dive into the conversation, um, yeah, like let everyone know who is Danny and then we're, uh, yeah, we're diving into it.
1: Well, that's, uh, that can be a dangerous question. Who's Danny? Uh, so um, my name Danny Matthews, and uh, as far back as I can remember, I wanted to be a designer. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to an all boys, um, secondary school. There was also a sports college. And when you go to a sports college, you don't really have the support and the encouragement to do a creative career. You're either a rugby player or a footballer. <laughs> That's kind of was you? Uh, a rugby actually, rugby. yeah, yeah, for a short period. Um, and ended up in, um, American football, actually. So I played for Coventry and Birmingham. Uh, I did a little bit of training in Swindon and, um, I really wanted to be a designer, but there, there wasn't really that pathway for me. So I ended up like most people just get the job and going into industry, ended up in financial services and insurance and, and mortgages, um, and ended up building a proof concept for the mortgage industry to help, uh, brokers and advisors to get information digitally through an online application. And that was really. Um, that was a really big project for me. It was a great transition to working with developers and designers and figuring out how they, how they link together. Um, and a, a, a big episode of Burner left me on the floor in central London. And I made a decision at that point to do what I want, really wanted to do. Uh, it was one of the best decisions I ever made and now I'm, I'm really fortunate to run my studio and, and design every day. And really my, my life consists of designing things mm-hmm. and for a purpose and doing stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I really want to do. So I'm really grateful and really, um, uh, I have a lot of gratitude for the work I put in to get to this day, um, and now I can focus. It's funny when you, when you fulfill what you want we, it's really easy to then go out and help others because number one's taken care of. It's almost like the, the airplane mask and then a GPU. And so now I really focus on making an impact um, and I'm sure we'll go into that yeah. point. Absolutely. Um, so when, when was that burnout for you? How many years ago? Four or five years ago then. It wasn't, it wasn't that, no, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but it also feels like such a long time ago, considering yeah. what I've, managed to do in between, uh, yeah, it was a big deal. It was, you know, I lost feeling from the waist down and purely through stroke, um, and just fell to the floor. And it took about two months, I think, to the from it properly. I know one of the big things for you and in, in your team is like that culture, mm-hmm. um, so is that
0: one thing that you try and implement within your culture is like, man, people don't get to that stage of when they're burning out, whether they're, um, okay you know, they come to work and do what they may enjoy and do their best work and leave it at the end of the day feeling fulfilled in, in ultimately what they do. Is that something that's at the core of?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we must try to not force it, but we, we've tried to build, like I don't think that you can really force culture no. or build culture. I think people try too hard to build culture. Culture is just a byproduct of having some really good Frameworks and policies and processes in place. So, we um, me and me uh, and the team uh, got together and decided what are these things that we need mm-hmm. to do to help us evolve a culture. And we came up with this thing called the Culture Navigator. And it's basically 12 principles of how we work. Now, for a lot of people, that w- it will seem very bizarre what mm-hmm. is on there because it's, it's my crazy idea of how I think work should be. So, there's things on there like Every day is a Saturday. And the idea behind that is that if you wake up on a Saturday and you had to work, how would you structure your day? And it's very likely that you would wake up in the morning, you'd get ready. You'd maybe have a coffee or have breakfast. You'd get the work done and then you'd spend the rest of the day doing whatever the hell you wanted. Now imagine that was every day. And if you treat that as your work, um, then life is surely to be more fulfilled. So there's, there's and I mean, there's 12 principles um, and the most important one is number 12. And that is that you must call out anyone at any level in the company that does not follow those 12 principles. So, and that gives permission for the most junior member of staff to tell the most senior member of staff that they're not sticking to those guidelines or, that, uh, you know, and how we build our culture. And that's been really important for us.
0: So one thing you said was, you know, you've got with your team and kind of decided on the, on the twelve yeah. So when, um, when you hire new people, like, how
1: does that process work? It's just an education process, yeah. part of onboarding, you know, that it's very, very likely it starts way before they're hired. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts with the job description. It starts with the, with the email that they get to introduce them to who's going to be interviewing them and, and why they're going to be sitting in front of them or sitting in front of the screen. or how that's going to work. And they're told about it straight away. So essentially we're attracting people that want that culture already, and they understand there's a lot in the culture navigator that leads to responsibility because the people in our business can work when they want, where they want, as long as the work is done. And that is really important for us to keep that as a core principle again. So they're introduced to that from day one from the job description, from right from the beginning. So when they get to interview stage, they'll either have questions or they'll understand it and just want to get get on with it. Mm. So we hire based on them understanding that it's their responsibility to get the results and get the job done. Mm. And we don't care if they're sitting in a coffee shop or on a mm. beach in Maui or, you know, it doesn't matter. Right? As long as we get the results done, the most important. thing.
0: Have you had anyone, either past employees or, or in it, yeah, and the very have had to deal with that of kind of, I say, neglected that because if you give somebody, some people maybe sometimes I give that them that amount of freedom. Um, I'm just kind of wondering how you navigate that because, you know, I, I believe in that way of working as well. Um, and then, you know, my background is more from like the nine to five kind of, the you other, know, I had a nine to five job, I hated it. And so I'm just kind of thinking of that sort of environment and, and those um boxes and that that, that would think or don't implement that. Maybe they're worried because they're worried that somebody's gonna take yeah. advantage, you know? So I'm just kind of interested because cause you like you're actively doing this in your mm. business, you know.
1: Yeah. Uh one of the so I mean, everything I talk about around culture and how we how we work, it's my idealistic view of it, right? right. Um the reality is that it takes some people some time to get used to and it's a great idea. You know, for most people, they see it and they go, oh, what a great idea. You know, I can, I can just be anywhere and do anything. And all I have to do is do my job and I'll be okay. But there is a transition period and there is a learning period. And the reason that we have things like the culture navigator and these 12 points is because we, we have to have something to refer to when we're trying to make decisions. So when someone says, when someone's considering, am I allowed, am I allowed to go out for lunch with a friend today? You take a look at the, the 12 principles, and, and as long as it fits within there, then you're so good. You have to do it. Um, but in reality, you know, I, I talk to a lot of employers about this as well and other companies, and they're very hesitant to do anything even remotely close to doing it. Yeah. And I understand that. Well, we're, we're basically trying to change religion. We've we've had this way of working since the industrial age that has served us well, you know, slavery until now. But we live in a different world and it's it's we we live and work very differently than than we did back then. You know, the nine to five was created it's a man-made thing. It was created by people to stop slave labor, child labour, and all those things. But, you know, we've and even though that still goes on today, we've tackled but much of it. So we have to start moving towards a different way of working if we're gonna keep this business thing sustainable and do it in the long term of course and i guess if, if that
0: was my main you know then obviously this new way of working is obviously coming from from uh, us as well and you know like i just think why wouldn't you want to come to work like a beautiful building like this you know it, 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 just back in here um you know i've had the cubicles and so it just feels a lot more like obviously spacious just that sense of kind of freedom is here you know and as you said go out or something or meet a friend and then come back really yeah. So, you know, I definitely, um, you know, it's something that as I'm building my own business, you know, and slowly starting to re- recruit team members as well. It's like, it's something that I'm very conscious about, and just want to encourage other teams as well to adopt it.
1: It's, it's going to be a tough transition. It's going to be a very long transition. We're talking 20, 30 years realistically, because we're trying to change something that, you know, it feels like religion, it's ingrained in us, that ourselves quite literally have a memory from 300 years ago that this is how we work. And we're trying to change that. It's like, it's embodied within us as human So trying to change that is very difficult, but yeah, I think it's really good with young people and a lot of the people I work with and, and I employ young people because of my past and, and me trying to create a better opportunity for them. So. Taking young people is a little bit easy because you can mold them. The problem is when they leave or when they move on, they enter a workplace that they're not used to. So, and you know, there is there is an element of me that feels bad for doing that for and giving the, them this like this hope of a better future, and then they go and get a job which is you know back to the nine five, back to the restricted, and that's really difficult, and it, and it's hard for me to um. Do it any other way, but um, I, I, I think it's okay.
0: like when you have conversations with them, it's like because like you know, you go out into the workplace, whatever, there's not many companies like
1: do you have like those conversations
0: with them sometimes? time, yeah.
1: So, I, I do take them out, yeah. and yeah. I do try and um, uh, prepare them, I guess, for but, but the outside world, well, as yes, much as you can. Yeah. So, you know, I do tell them that this is a very unusual way of working. Not many people do it. It's, um, I believe in it wholeheartedly and I believe that it's the best way that we can work and yeah. for moving into the future. And, and I also tell them that I understand if you don't get it straight away, mm-hmm. you know, it will be a learning process that will be a transition. And, but as long as it, you know, you're willing to believe what I believe and, and that you trust me that, uh, you want to have a better work-life balance, you want to have better well-being and have a better mental health because of it, um, then then join us and, and see what it's like. So you said you uh, so you got a young
0: team, and um, have you hired or like working in the past those who really
1: haven't been able to shape or mold in more slack? Funnily enough, I I don't hire them because of that you yeah. mostly and and that may seem a little you have know, got some hr people watching cringing but <laughs> uh, employment and all people no I just uh, uh, i think that the way we work doesn't mm-hmm. attract them anyway
0: i was thinking that like if you're from the get-go from like the job mm-hmm. i mean even when you're
1: posting that you know you know like people are like that's weird i'm not doing that yeah exactly um yeah and you know the people that are maybe an older generation they are experienced people that um are either freelancers or contracted. Mm. So we'll use them as freelancers or contracted. Mm. But the people that I have within the company in house whether they're employed, working spirits, whatever, they're mostly young people. Because I think they're they're hopeful for a better future and they're willing to try what we what we're experimenting with really. You know, that I think there's an a misconception that I've thought of this thing out of thin air and that I'm I'm uh, just running with it. It's all an experiment. And I think we're all, even the most established companies, uh, are either trying. If they're not trying new things, they're not growing. And, and if they are trying new things, you know, we're all testing things, and we're all trying new things all the time. And, and I think that's where really innovative companies grow, and they're trying those. Definitely.
0: Um, so, if if we have a small business owner on, like, who's, who's watching this, who's listening to this, what would be to me, we all do top tips from a culture kind of perspective on. I am kind of implementing everything that we've.
1: So the, I guess the couple of tips I, I would give is, um, is mainly the shift in mindset. So if you are thinking about a better working future, you are trying to figure out ways to give people uh, a better work life balance or, um, improve mental health in the workplace or give people a real opportunity at taking back responsibility, mm-hmm. then, um, I would start to think uh, about what is wrong with the old world of working, the industrial age world of working, and what's great about the new way of working. The one way that I can describe that is through time judgment. So in the industrial age, we have been taught to judge employees by time. What time they come in, what time they leave, the time at their desk. And uh, you'd be surprised, I used to work in a sales environment where it was cubicle on the phone and uh it's shocking actually how many people you know david comes in at you know 8 30 before his 9 a.m shift starts and he stays till sick past his 5 p.m shift ended and um actually does hardly any work in that time he's not productive uh there's no and um, you can't put numbers on the board. And like, it's just not a very good performing employee. You've spending yeah. yeah, Yeah. Stacey comes in, bang on nine. She leaves at five. She takes her lunch break and she sticks numbers on the board every single month. Who gets the promotion? What? David does. He but shouldn't, but David does because he seemed to be working hard. And that's the problem with the way that we work. We're judged based on time, not performance. And that's why so many companies are unproductive. So if we switch that to, um, there is, we're purely focused on results, not by time, um, then we start to build a culture of responsibility. And that's where I think the, the problem lies with a lot of employee, employ we've because of this, um, this yearning to control everything. We've stripped people of taking responsibility to go wrong. So people come in, do their job, go home and they don't care enough about the role to, to go and get the result that you, because you've stripped it off them. So we need to change that as a, as a mindset of leaders Mm -hmm. and as a culture in a business, um, Mm -hmm. so that, that's really the advice I would give. I would start to think about your employees and the performance of your company, Mm -hmm. um, as results and not by time. And I promise you, you'll see a difference in productivity.
0: Um, It re- reminds me the uh, the time thing of um, this job I had wearing spoons. My boss, my outline, was always there uh, like four past eight, and a day later. But then they would take longer lunch breaks and stuff. And it was like, it's just like now I've kind of gotten thinking of like,
1: but they speak some more wonderful. I mean, even the people who see this or listen to this, they will start to notice it yeah. if they're employed or they'd see workplaces or they go into workplace with part of their mm-hmm. role, if they're consultants or that kind of thing. And they will start to notice it. they will start to notice the guy or gal who's, who looks busy all the time, yeah. but actually there's no real tangent outcome from their job. Uh, they'll start to notice it. Interesting.
0: I guess it's, um, a similar process for businesses who want to be sustainable in terms of it's going to be, it's a, it's a journey, right? It's a, <laughs> it's a long thing, you know, if, if the business wants could be most sustainable. Um, and we took, we also talking is like a 10, 20 year thing for them to, to, to get to that point, or is there some more things in the short term that they can do? Cause I know we're also huge on that and that's probably a huge on the show.
1: Yeah. So I think, um, and when we're talking about sustainability, what we're, I think a lot of people get confused with climate change. You. I think they link it directly with climate change. And there is a reason for that. You know, climate change is quite an urgent problem that needs solving. It's a problem that we can all take action today if we wanted to, uh, to have an impact on themselves. But sustainability as a whole includes everything. It's everything. It's the processes in the business. It's what you do. It's who you attract. It's how you attract them. And you are looking at a... Essentially making it and making changes in the business so you can do it for longer. That's really the goal here. Yeah. Um, elsewhere, you know, there's companies all over the world that, that work to 90 day financial goals. Mm. So you have a a group of board members that are making decisions based on 90 days, not on 30 years, um, and that can be a problem, you know, because the the short term decisions are having a short term impact, not a long-term impact. And we need to think about the long-term a little bit more. Now, climate change is the thing. And I I think climate change at the minute is the unlock. I think that's the entry point, the thing that's been talked about a lot, um, that's in the news a lot. but it's also the thing that we can probably make the most impact in, in the shortest space of time. And our business went carbon neutral net zero in six months and, and to, in all fairness, that sounds like a big, whee, everyone cheer and clap, but it was one of the easiest things I've done. On small business. I'm not a massive company that needs to consider their supply chain and all these different, you know, concepts. So small businesses can literally do two or three things um, to reduce their carbon emissions and then offset the risk. Job done. So it may seem great that we're carbon neutral and we're at we zero and all this kind of stuff, but... And I mean, all I did was change my energy supply to renewable, got an electric car, um, and made some changes of internal policies to say that we will only work with other suppliers that have a net zero strategy. Uh, that means our supply chains are protected. Uh, that's pretty much it. There's there's not a lot. And I think we ended up with something like point grams of CO two, which. You know, we have set 36 times that anyway mm. every every year just by um, subscribing to things like ecology, which if, if you don't know what that is, it's a tree planting scheme, essentially. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's actually much easier thing to do than people anticipate. And you can make an impact like that, I right, right now today. Um, so I'd encourage anyone to look into that.
0: So, um, as you grow growing your business do, and you've like predicted more things you'll have, you'll have to do to continue to, um, to like stay net zero. And, and yeah, there's um, a lot of scenarios.
1: Yeah. So one of the things is like, if you employ people, they add an extra expense, there's extra technology, there's extra use of energy, there's extra, uh, you know, time online, all these little things add up and mm-hmm. devices yeah. is a big thing, uh, you know, because there is a lot of technology these days and a lot of it goes to waste. Mm-hmm. And we've started to refurbish, uh, get refurbished goods, uh, technology um, and I've seen a statistic actually, which was quite shocking. And it was every time you upgrade your phone, you could have charged your current phone every day for 10 years to make the same emissions. So the amount of carbon that's put into the, uh, the atmosphere from upgrading your phone is the same as if you charged your current phone every day for 10 years. Mm. That's crazy. That is insane. So you think the amount of people that upgrade their phone every year every year is from their contract? Uh, so and, and luckily, I found this out, I think, two months before my contract renewed. And I said, my, my wife said, oh, it's time to get a new phone, is it? And I went, not a chance. This time? We're sticking with what we got. You know, because it's fine. I've got an iPhone 11 Pro. We're only on an iPhone 13 in over a year. So it's not that far away. And I mean, if you really think about it from an Apple Sense, is there really that much improvement per model? Yeah. You know, it's improvement right. sort of... in right. the camera, a new software feature, whatever it might be. So, and, yeah, I said we'll probably upgrade our phone every three to five years, maybe. We've had it for two at the minute. So maybe next year is the year, but I think we could probably push it a little bit longer. Yeah, it's, it's interesting not to get
0: off topic, but I think, um, yeah, with kind of the upgrades and stuff, uh, I do know. I, um, I've noticed that as well. I think that's three, three years or so. No, no, it's different or different. No, no, <laughs> I don't even know know what, what I've got now, but, um, yeah. So, you know, I'm just trying to indicate that to the rest of my, my family, because my, my brother just, yeah. You know, You've ever actually, been, you know, like to upgrade every year. Oh, I,
1: I know people that have like four phones that they don't use and they just use the most, like the newest one. Yeah. Like what happens to the other? No, You know, if you're going to do something with well, it, great, but most of the time they're just there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would consider there's a great, um, there's a great, um, uh, I don't know what to call it, like a scheme in um, in Wiltshire. So uh, a, a client and friend of mine, Natalie, runs at... Um, Social media agency. She runs the Workshop Digital Drive and they collect laptops and give them to children in schools. So they refurbish that, there and they're partnered with an IT firm and they refurbish them and give them out to schools. What a great way to reuse technology. And so there's always a use for these old devices and stuff. So if you are upgrading, find a great use for your own device and um, don't just stick it back into the system for someone to buy or whatever. You know, either recycle it really responsibly, give it to someone who really needs it.
0: From a policy point, you mentioned you changed some things on, on a map. What were those things you, you tweaked, and do you feel like they would made a big difference? To them?
1: Yes, we um, we implemented a code of conduct for suppliers, um, and you know this is like uh, if you're going to be a supplier of us, um, you have to pay your employees fairly. And, um, you have to be at least working towards a net zero strategy, uh, or it has to be in the plan. So, um, you know, it, it can't just be us who's making the effort. Other people have to do that as well. And if we just, uh, if we implement a policy that almost forces that, um, then we're, we're actually having a better effect as a knock-on down the line in the supply chain. So yeah, there's, there's that, there's code of, con- code of conduct. It's like a modern slavery agreement that kind of thing. Um, and then there is the, uh, net zero strategy link. Um, so they're the two main policies we've implemented. That uh, that having an effect at the minute. And it, it really made us think about who our suppliers are and are they actually bothered and are they actually doing something? You know, if you're, people might care about the environment or they might care about a cause. And remember, this isn't just climate change, so they might care about cause. cause. Um, but if they're not willing to make a change now, we worry that we won't have that supplier in the future and there's no long-term relationships. Why would we work with it? So actually it becomes fairly logical when you dig into it a little bit deeper. and um, but yeah, we felt like we needed something to make sure that it happens and that it wasn't just something we said, but something we did. Yeah. So, um, speaking of the said
0: earlier, and then on to now with this topic, so if, I'm just, it's <laughs> just a hypothetical Sure. Yes. Situation. Really, really curious, <laughs> um, if, so, so, so with your team, you have work at any, anywhere. Mm-hmm. So if one of your team members was flying all over the mm-hmm. shop, different countries and of stuff, how just like thinking about it now, from a single rule, obviously we're focusing on climate change and stuff and obviously that's mm-hmm. a lot of emissions, like obviously for me from just like thinking out loud that can't
1: necessarily control them, like how how does how would that work, do you think? Yeah, so that's the tough one. We have to balance like health and wellbeing. Mm-hmm and sustainable goals in the, in the desert. If, if someone wants to travel for their own health and well-being and, and they want to travel around the world and they want to work from anywhere in the world, we're absolutely fine with that. Um, we, but we would then give some education and guidance around how you do it responsibly. responsibly. So how much are you packing? How much are you, um, uh, you know, who are you flying with? You know, can you pay a little bit more to help? Um, reduce the impact on the environment if you're flying and, you know, depending on which people you're flying with. There are um, some flights which say, tick this box and we'll offset the emissions for you. Uh, when you book a flight. So there is that, you know, and th- there's a few things you can do along the way, um, to reduce your impact as you're doing that. You know, if you're, um, it depends on country you're going to as well, which, you know, there's uh, obvious things that you can do around, you know, what you're eating and all that kind of stuff, but and uh, that goes a little bit deep. So yeah, uh, I would say anyone can go anywhere, but it's just being conscious and mindful about um, what you were doing and how you were doing it and be, be willing to learn a different way of doing, it. you know, be willing to say, I want to go travel to Thailand. I want to work there. And number one, being mindful of the time zone changes, um, still having the freedom, but Uh, being, you know, having education around, you know, who are you booking flights with? What's the emissions? Is there a way that we can reduce it? Is there a way that we as a company can um, help to fund it or help to offset the emissions within the business? So there is that. And one big thing that I've noticed through my sustainability journey, and especially through climate change and carbon emissions and all those things, is looking at other companies that do it. What what. Some of them try and do, and I can't mention any, but, uh, but some of them try and do is just buy offset. So they plant a thousand trees and that solves the problem and it doesn't solve the problem. You can't pump out a million tons of CO2 and offset uh, a million tons of CO2 by planting trees and expect the problem to go away. So, you have to before anyone starts setting anything or signing up for ecology, and this, this was a mistake I originally. this was me. Um, you have to produce what you're producing. Uh, so, um, originally I came across the ecology and I was like, hang on a minute, I can subscribe to this service for four quid an employee per month, and that will allowed me to offset a bunch of co2 it wasn't measured i didn't know how much i was producing i didn't know anything i just thought it's an easy way for me to do something good so it was an honest thing um but then when i met a client of mine that um, became uh, almost a sustainability advisor she said um you can't just offset stuff you have to reduce it first you're not you're not having any impact so I had to start thinking of ways to reduce it. And we went, um, I mean, it wasn't a lot anyway. I think it was about 60 tons. Mm. But um, uh, we reduced it down to next to nothing, really. And then offset the rest. And all of a sudden, instead of offsetting 100% of what we were producing, we reduced it by almost everything. And then we were offsetting 36, 38 times what we were producing. And that's when the had of it. The- and I think what a lot of people do is they try and make out that they're doing something good by throwing money at these schemes where it's not really doing any favors now, there's also a little bit of a problem in that, that how long does a tree take to grow?
0: Horse, yeah. You know, so it's, uh, it's the thing, one of the things that I had is like, um, yeah, and then I think they, so worried that they, were laying down all these trees and do they were doing it for a reason. Uh, yeah. I emailed them the next explained whatever. I and mean, you're a trees, but in my mind, like I was thinking that of like, okay, can I use like whatever, but try, how long does, do, does it, does it train feed the to grow? Like have to be 50, 100 years. Like I, I don't know, you know, so.
1: Yeah, it just doesn't make sense in my mind. Like Yeah, so it's a good point. You so there's a lot, that. there's a lot more we can, which is why it's really important to reduce it. Else it's not going to have an effect um, very quickly. You're just upsetting stuff. Yeah. And, and true. So yes, there's a lot that we can do with planting trees, mm-hmm. reducing CO two emissions, uh, but it's much quicker, much more impactful yeah. to produce what you're already to producing. Emissions. So, so if that sounds like
0: the approach. So, first step is to reduce, and then look the at offsetting. Yeah, same. Yeah. Okay, um, awesome. Do you have any kind uh, of final thoughts, on, or maybe some final tips on the, on on this um, before we? Will do the
1: Yeah, so one of the things that we did was um, I realized that there's an organization called B-Lab, they have a certification called B-Corp. It's a B-Corp certification. Uh, you can go through the process. It is a, it's a long, very strict process that you go through, and when you get the certificate, it's like the gold standard badge of honor of sustainable business. And, uh, and they stipulate something. They, uh, you know, they... They say that, uh, if you're a B Corp, we're doing, we're using business as a force for good and that we put people and, uh, uh, planet before private. So, and if you're a B Corp, you have to produce what's called an impact report every year. So you have to produce this report, which, which basically reports on target, what you've done, what you plan to do, uh, to build a sustainable business. Um, and I thought. I don't have to be at B Corp mm-hmm. to produce an impact report. And I thought, what a great way to um, to keep us accountable to what we promised to do. So at the start of this year, we published our first impact report. And and it was a great way for us to stay accountable and stay tracking what we use and what we have to do. Is that, is that not online? online? Yeah, it's so online. You can go on the website and write it down into the footer and you'll see impact report and you can read it. There's no opt-in or anything. It's publicly open. Um, and it means that anyone at any time can go and see what impact we're having. And it's great because it's not a financial report. Mm-hmm. There's no profits or earnings or salaries or dividends. That's accounting report. This isn't a counter report. This is what are you doing to make the world better through business? Because you, know, you ask someone, why are you in business? The, uh, to give the answer is and make money. With it, there's nothing in that. I mean, like there's no, there's no real substance to it. Like what, what do you money? Oh, no, no, no. But having an impact report and tracking these things and, uh, and knowing that we'll make it an impact for the early period, uh, that's thing. And it's really shifted our mindset around what we look at when we we're taking on a client, for example, oh, uh, yeah, no, no, no. and the areas that want to be impacted. Oh. Awesome. set if Awesome.
0: possibly wish for you. That's only an obstacle. Okay. and i where can people find you online and you'll kind of uh, sell yourself? Yeah, find connect, you. uh, connect
1: with me online. You'll connect with me personally anywhere. If you look for at the actual Danny and as well as on LinkedIn, just did linkedin.com forward slash yeah. in forward slash the actual Danny. And yeah, connect with me there. If you've got any questions about sustainability or oh uh, want to know more about my journey for culture, or you want to take a look at the culture navigate theory, kind of. Think about building your own and if they'll do that. and the website. The website's just dannyand.co.
0: And for more after today's show, be sure to head on over to raisingconsciousness.show to get all of the show notes, transcriptions, videos for each episode, and a hell of a lot more. And if you got value from this episode, found it insightful, or learned a thing or two, please leave a review where you can let everyone know that this show is worth checking out. I appreciate you so much. You'll be hearing from me in the next episode.